Hear now a reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, beginning with verse 43. I invite you to follow along, noting any word, phrase, or image that speaks to your heart. I'll be reading from the New Revised Standard Version. So hear the word of the Lord. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him about whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. When Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, he said of him, Here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, Where did you get to know me? Jesus answered, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered, Do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. When is the last time you bought a car? While there are services that allow you to order a car online and have it delivered to your house, most people would not spend that kind of money without a test drive. I remember when I bought my Hyundai Elantra over eight years ago. I visited a big dealer in Lakeland and asked to test drive the Elantra and its Ford equivalent, the Focus. I wanted to get a feel for both cars before deciding which one to purchase. After the test drives, I chose the Elantra and to avoid all the pressure and shenanigans of working with a salesperson in the dealership, I did my negotiating through email. Once we reached an agreement, I went back to test drive the specific Elantra I was purchasing. I wanted to try it before buying it. Similarly, few people buy a house unseen. When house hunting, we might tour several homes before signing the papers. Why? Because it's prudent to take a close look. Most of us would never make a decision to buy a home before seeing the layout of the floor plan, the size of the master bedroom, the amount of closet space, the amenities in the kitchen, and the condition of the bathrooms. We like to walk around, imagine where the furniture will go, who will get what bedroom, and what it would be like to live there. Of course, the COVID pandemic has made it more difficult to try something before buying it. In the interest of safety, sales at brick and mortar stores have declined and online sales have increased. To adapt to this new environment, 
many online sellers are finding ways to let people receive a product before making a final decision to buy it. For example, some retailers allow us to select an item on their website and choose a pay later option at checkout. After checkout, the order ships and an email is sent to confirm when payment is due. When it arrives in the mail, if we want to keep it, then we can log into the seller's website and pay for it. If we do not want to keep it, we can print a free return label, take it to the post office, and send it back. Again, this is a way of letting us try it before we buy it. In our scripture reading this morning and in the larger story in that passage, Jesus seems to take a similar approach when inviting us to become disciples. Listen carefully to what he says to John the Baptist and two of his disciples earlier in the story. He says, come and see. In other words, if you are interested in my message, then come and see for yourselves. Listen to what I say. Watch what I do. Observe what happens to the people who respond to my invitation. Come along and check it out for yourselves. See it with your own eyes and then decide. Do you see how the try it before you buy it strategy is at the heart of Jesus' call to discipleship? Note what he does not say. He doesn't say, first you have to believe that I am the incarnation of the second person of the Holy Trinity, that I am the pre-existent Son of God before you follow me. Jesus just doesn't establish those kinds of theological prerequisites. He doesn't require people to believe certain religious doctrines before they start following him. Nor does Jesus say, first you must get your moral act together, then you can follow me. Again, Jesus just doesn't establish these kinds of moral prerequisites. He doesn't require people to conform to a strict moral code before he says, come and see. No, Jesus starts with the assumption that all people are beloved children of God, regardless of what they believe and how they are acting. That God loves them unconditionally right where they are and invites them to experience a new kind of life. When Jesus says, come and see, he is inviting them to step into that new kind of life, to walk around and try it out before making the very serious decision to become one of his disciples. And make no mistake, this is a serious decision that deserves thoughtful consideration. Jesus says in Luke 14, beginning with verse 28, Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it. For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, 
he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, Jesus says, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. When inviting us to follow him, Jesus doesn't make a high-pressure sales pitch that prompts a compulsive decision. No, he says, come and see. Try it out. Reflect deeply on your experience and then make a prayerful and careful decision. Jesus is saying, I'm, ask, I'm not asking you to tweak your life around the edges. I'm asking you to trust me with your life, to surrender your whole life to my care and direction. I'm asking you to take up a cross, to die to yourself so that you can become a new creation. This will not be easy. It will require incredible sacrifices. So Jesus says, count the cost. Look before you leap. And this is what the disciples do. When you think about it, they really don't come to believe in Jesus, at least in the way that we typically think about coming to believe in Jesus, until they had followed him for three years. Jesus said, come and see, and they accepted this invitation. For three years, they followed him, learning who he was and what he was about. And then they came to believe in him in such a way that it commanded their entire lives. But it all begins with three simple words, come and see. If we respond to this invitation affirmatively, then we learn firsthand what Jesus is all about. We put ourselves in a position to hear his teachings and we see with our own eyes the kind of life he lives and how he treats other people. This creates the possibility of trying before buying. For example, we hear Jesus teach about the transformative power of being forgiven and offering forgiveness to others. With this information, we can choose to engage in a little experiment. If I assume for the moment that this teaching is true and act as if it were true, what happens to me? If I assume that God really does love me and forgive me, and I do my best to confess my sin and ask for this gift of forgiveness, what happens? Is a burden lifted off of my shoulders? Does something change inside of me? Do I experience something like the joy of a second chance? Does this motivate me to give up sinful behavior? If we ask for God to forgive us and notice a change, then maybe this will motivate us to ask other people for forgiveness and to make amends. Again, we can ask when I do this, what happens to me? What happens to my relationship with those I've hurt? If we take this step and notice a difference in our lives, then maybe we will be motivated to extend forgiveness to people who have injured us, people that we resent and maybe even hate. If we take this leap of faith, again, what happens to us? What happens to them? What happens to our relationship? And as all of this unfolds, something incredible happens. We are empowered for the first time to truly understand what forgiveness is all about, to believe in forgiveness in the sense of trusting 
that forgiveness is a necessary practice if we want peace and joy. The same is true when we hear Jesus say something like, the greatest among you is the greatest servant, or that it's better to give than to receive. Hearing this teaching allows us to do another experiment. Assuming that this teaching is true, we can act as if it were true and see what happens. What happens when we are intentional about setting time aside to help others, especially those who can't return the favor? What happens when we feed the hungry, visit the prisoner, and take care of the sick? Do we experience moments when we forget ourselves? And how does this feel? What is it like to not be obsessed with our own needs, wants, and fears? Is it freeing? Does it make life more joyful and content? What would it be like to make this a way of life? How would it change me? How would it change my relationships? How would it change my view of the world? Friends, this is how most people truly come to faith in Jesus, which leads to another important point. Belief and faith are not the same thing. When we think about belief, we think about giving intellectual assent to a list of propositions. The pastor says, okay, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? And the person says, I do, checking off the box next to that religious belief. Then the pastor says, do you believe that Jesus offers forgiveness of sins and salvation? And the person says, I do, checking off the box next to that religious belief, and so on and so forth. But faith is not primarily about agreeing with certain teachings of the church. It's not primarily about giving intellectual assent to a set of religious or theological propositions. No, faith is about trust. To have faith in Jesus means to trust Jesus, to trust Him with your life. And how can you trust someone before you take the time to get to know them? Again, the goal of Christian life is not to convince your brain to believe a list of doctrines, which, by the way, has no power to save you. We are not saved by our religious beliefs, no more than we are saved by our moral conduct. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus, by entrusting our lives to Jesus. So the goal is not primarily to convince you to accept a body of teachings, but to help you learn how to trust Jesus. Once we finally get this point, it helps us to understand where so many churches go wrong. Many churches operate on the strategy of believe, behave, belong. First, you must believe certain things about God and Jesus. Second, you must start behaving a certain way. Then you will belong. The implication, of course, is if you don't believe and behave, then you don't really belong. But this is not how Jesus invited people to become disciples. Rather, he took the completely opposite approach. Jesus starts out by saying, you already belong. You are already loved and accepted by God just the way that you are. You are already a child of God, beloved of God, and of sacred worth. 
Then, after establishing our belonging from the very beginning, Jesus says, come and see, follow me, and see with your own eyes who I am and what I teach. Try it out and see how it changes your life. This is a new way of behaving. Then the final step involves believing. We start with belonging, then try out some new behaving, and then we are empowered by God to trust Jesus with our lives. And in this way, we truly come to believe in Him. So it's not believe, behave, belong, but rather belong, behave, believe. As this process unfolds in our lives, we are deeply transformed. We actually become more healthy and free, more loving and gracious, more forgiving and kind, more flexible and magnanimous, more joyful and peaceful and content. We experience with increasing levels of depth what Jesus calls abundant life, life overflowing with the good gifts of God. And as this happens, we become part of the evidence toward which Jesus points when he says to others, come and see. Come and see what I've done in Mark's life. Come and see what I've done in Emma's life. You can insert your own name. Come and see what I've done in your life. And as God points other people to your life as evidence of the truth he proclaims, he calls you to cooperate with the invitation by sharing your own story about what God has done in your life. He calls you to join him in inviting others to come and see. As I've said in the past, it's important for you to know your story, to remember and to be able to tell people what God has done for you, not in a high-pressure sales kind of way, but in a non-threatening, loving way when the opportunity naturally presents itself. Do you know your story? If someone approached you today and said, I have seen a difference in your life and I want to know your secret, would you be able to clearly communicate how Jesus has changed your life? If not, I encourage you to begin figuring that out now so that when God brings people into your life who need to hear your story, that you will be able to respond faithfully. If you need help in this regard, please let me know because I have some good resources that I can share with you. But don't miss the important point here. You become part of the evidence to which God points when trying to help others see the truth in Jesus. And that means, at least in part, that your salvation is not just about you. It's about helping other people find abundant life too. And all of this is not only true for the way we live our lives as individuals, but also for our life together. Friends, when Jesus invites us to be a disciple, he doesn't invite us to a solitary life, but to life in community. If we are going to follow Jesus and be transformed into his image, which is what must happen if we're going to have abundant life, then we will need a little help from our friends. We need a group of people to support, encourage, teach, and guide us. We all have blind spots and weaknesses that require outside help and accountability if we're really going to change.
Furthermore, since real connection and community is itself part of what it means to have abundant life, all of us need to experience firsthand what it's like to be accepted and loved by others, to be transformed in relationship with others. And when this happens, when others see us learning and practicing the teachings of Jesus together in a genuine community of love, then our life together becomes part of the evidence toward which God points when trying to lead others to the truth in Jesus. When people see all of this happening with their own eyes, they are much more likely to try out a life of discipleship and experience it for themselves. And just as Jesus invites us to cooperate with this invitation in our personal lives by sharing our story, he also invites us to participate in this invitation as a church family by inviting others to come and see what God is doing in our church, by inviting them to come to church. In closing, I want to remind you that last week we talked about the power and importance of our words. Today we're talking about the power and importance of our actions. To those who have heard about Jesus but who've never seriously tried to learn and practice his teachings, I invite you to come and see this morning, to join our congregation in this endeavor as we seek to create communities of love. You belong here. This is a safe place for you to try on discipleship and see how it fits to give Jesus a real chance by taking something that he taught, acting as if it were true, and then observing what happens in and around you to walk it out with us without judgment or high-pressure sales tactics. To those who have already responded to Jesus' invitation to come and see, I encourage you to keep going. Friends, if we're honest, sometimes we have moments when we think, do I really believe all this stuff? <laughs> I just want to tell you that these moments of doubt are a normal part of discipleship, of our spiritual growth, because faith is about trust, and trust develops and is strengthened over time. There are also times when following Jesus seems too hard, and we start wondering if the payoff is really true. We start wondering if all this sacrifice is really going to help us have a life of peace, love, and joy. Again, when this happens, we keep walking it out together, and God works through our experience to renew our faith so we can find our next steps. Wherever you are on the disciples' path, I encourage you to continue listening to the teachings of Jesus by meditating on Scripture, and continue to act on them and reflect on the results, and to continue rejoicing when the promises of God materialize in your life as a result. The good news this morning is that Jesus calls us to come and see and gives us time to change so we can experience the gifts of abundant life. And that is my hope for you this morning. Amen. Will you join me in prayer? Gracious God, we thank you so much for your love, 
your forgiveness, and your acceptance. And God, we thank you for giving us time to get to know Jesus, time to understand his message, time to try it out so that when we make a decision to be one of his followers, it's a decision that can last a lifetime. God, we recommit ourselves to you and to the way of life that Jesus offers to us. And we ask that as we are obedient, as we forgive people and serve people and try to do the things that Jesus told us to do, God, I pray that you will help us to notice the changes that are happening in our lives and the changes that are happening all around us as a result. And that as we recognize those things and celebrate them, that they will continue to motivate us, that they will have a snowball effect in helping us to trust Jesus with more and more of our lives. We ask that you will guide us every step of the way and help us to discover and experience those gifts of abundant life that Jesus promises in the Gospels. We pray these things in his name. Amen.